welcome to the Horses and Life podcast. So I'm here at the Dublin Gap Ranch in Newville, Pennsylvania, and I wanted to introduce you guys to Grant, if you haven't met Grant Bilbrey yet. And Grant, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Cal. So what's going to happen is every time I'm in Pennsylvania, when I do some recordings here, if Grant's available, he's going to pop in and be a little guest appearance and say hello to you guys when I'm doing the intro or maybe when I have a guest in here as well. Grant has just got done. I guess I could say he and I, but mostly Grant and some other folks here have been working on uh, getting a little recording room together here in the barn. So we've got that uh, going. So that's what we're, tonight's the first night we're recording anything in that. So we're pretty excited about that. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's been kind of fun. And don't worry, your cowboy hat is not echoing sound. I am self-conscious about it, but I- <laughs> dynamic microphone as we're learning about these things. Yeah, we've been learning a lot about the different microphones and the different cords and these arm, these booms and the table stands for words the, like splitter. Yeah, splitters and suspension boom, zoom recorders <laughs> and outro, that's a word now. And uh, so true what uh, Pocahontas said, walk in the footsteps of a stranger, you learn things you never knew, you never knew. That's right. <laughs> Colors of the wind. I remember that. Oh yeah. <laughs> great movie. So we've been learning about this podcast stuff and Grant's just kind of been on this journey with me a little bit because he's the type of guy that's always wanting to learn something new. And you know, what we're going to do is they've kind of set up this spot here in Pennsylvania for me to do some of the recording at. And then so wherever I am on the road with my equipment, every time I fly in here or every time I drive in here, I don't have to always bring my stuff in and out. They're going to have some things here for me to use so I can record here. So uh, that's kind of fun. And then maybe someday down the road, you know, other people could use the, the studio here to do some recording. But for now, we're just trying to get the kinks ironed out and figure out what we need and what we don't need. And we've been learning a lot. It's, there's so many little details. It's hard to figure out until you just start doing it. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's intuitive to some people, but clearly not to us. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that a lot in my life. Yeah, yeah you too? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just me. Yeah. No, I... Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, yesterday our conversation about can the sound make it through a screen? Yeah. <laughs> of course, all, all the microphones had windscreens <laughs> on. And then I said, well, maybe uh, we would catch some of the sound. Yeah, yeah maybe some of it. <laughs> I mean, to tell you, uh, well, at least since we're together and we're about equally as dumb or as smart, however you half full or half empty it, I feel pretty comfortable yeah. airing out my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, <laughs> like you said, there's not a whole lot of geek squad members that'll have a cowboy hat on, but if there was ever two geeks in a cowboy hat, we sure qualify. That's right. I'm not real tech savvy. Grant's actually pretty tech savvy, but I'm I'm not that much, but I'm (laughs) I'm learning here. I'm learning here. We're we're both making an effort. So anyway, that's what's going to happen. So I'm going to kind of introduce a few things or kind of give you guys some announcements here and and Grant's going to pop in anything he feels like needs to be added here that I'm missing out. And Grant always provides a little comic relief whatever we're doing. So who do we have on, uh, so today, so today we're going to Terry Smith from Texas. Terry's the guy you talked to on the phone the other night. Yeah. I met him for the, well, I guess I met him over the phone, but super personable. I think, yeah, we got, we kind of got cut off because we had, we had a lot to do, but really enjoyed talking to him. Could have talked to him all night. Was that me that did the cutting off? Well, typically, (laughs) you know, I'll talk forever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Typically. Yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah. No, I, he was one of those people that he was really interesting. There's some people that you, it's like they can identify with anybody, you yeah. know? Oh, you bet. And uh, I got that sense from him. Yeah, for sure. I'll tell everybody a little bit more about him in a minute too. So in the meantime, so we went to the horse expo a couple of weeks ago. 
here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That was a good time. I know there's a few of you that told me you're going to be listening to the podcast, so thank you for those new people that I met at the Expo. If you're listening now, glad to have you here as a listener, and hopefully you can come out and see us again soon. Those Expos are interesting. A lot of different people doing demonstrations, working with horses, a lot of different products, things for sale, a lot of what I'd like to say, a lot of entertainment. I kind of like to feel like I'm a little bit more in the education realm rather than entertainment, but sometimes I feel like I'm doing educating and I end up being entertaining. So not always in a good way. Depends on how it goes, I guess. Depends right? on how it goes, yeah. yeah. Oh, I meant to do that. I hope you, yeah. Yeah, you guys yeah. have a good laugh out of that. Good, good. I guess they say that uh, they have a reach of like 65,000 people, at least just in their booklet that circulates through. I guess that means that over the course of those four days as they're handing those things out, yeah. that they're reaching that that number of people. So that, you know, that's 65,000 people that are, by showing up, interested and uh, the same stuff that we are. So, And I think 64,000 are listening to the podcast, so that's good. I think that it's at least that this week. <laughs> and then when they tell their friends, sign up three people. <laughs> that's how this podcast is a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know. Great. Everybody just turned <laughs> it off. Don't worry about the products yet. Just yeah. sign up more people. <laughs> don't and ask your downline. <laughs> don't ask questions yet. <laughs> Yeah, so you guys will have to forgive me. I've been listening to Bill Burr, and I've been hanging out with Grant. So I, I think I'm a comedian a this week, drunk. even though I'm not. And plus, it's like <laughs> two guys I don't know. that don't drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> two guys that don't drink. Yeah. Staying up late gets us all goofy. Here we are at 1 a.m. <laughs> finally got some work done two nights in a row, and now we're doing this. So my wife doesn't listen to this. I'm supposed yeah. To be. Sleep. You're sleeping to be somewhere sleeping in the house. Doing something, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway. Supposed to be using my CPAP. Uh, we've got some good fencing projects going on. You guys will get to see that when you come out. We've got some new cattle in here. We just got some new heifers in the other day. I've been working on the roping and kind of getting some young horses seasoned and working some cattle. We're going to use those cattle for the clinic coming up. Uh, you guys have got some of the older steers from last year, beef for sale on the hoof. So you guys want to give us a call or uh, send me an email, cal at calmiddleton.com. I'll hook you up with Grant or Amy, and they'll get you all the info about that. The next clinic here is March 23rd through 26th. We've got four days. We've got a foundation class in the morning, a little bit of groundwork, a little bit of riding. We've got a colt starting class or a green horse class, we're calling it, for anybody that has basically any horse that has been ridden, hasn't been ridden, has been ridden for a while, kind of green. They want a little help with it, bring it on over. And then we've got a horsemanship class with some cow working uh, after that. So, so I'll, I'll just say because I, you know, it's the first thing that people ask. Of course, well, what's the what's the clinic about, or well, well what are you doing specifically, right. or whatever? And I, I, and it may not be what you'll see at everybody else's clinics. And I don't have a heck of a lot of experience with what other folks are doing candidly, but at least I've seen I think a hundred percent of cows clinics that, well, at least that we're splitting the revenues on here. I don't know what you're doing. I'm gone, but. <laughs> right, right, right. But anyway, no matter where you're at, Cal will meet you where you're at. And I have, you know, I know people are kind of worried about, well, I don't know if my horse and I are kind of ready to do this or that. And and it just, it kind of just so happens that over the course of four days and with the 300 acres we have here and just any number of opportunities to use your horse and with the cows and this and that, you'll be busy doing whatever it is that, that you need to be doing to learn and to to get you to the next step. It's, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who ask that question, but nobody's standing around without anything to do for the clinics, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. to do. And there's a lot of learning from watching other people 
and seeing that stuff going on. And you're right. It's a tough thing to answer. Like, well, what are your clinics about? You know, they can read the flyer, but then it's like, well, but what are you going to be doing? Like, what do you mean horsemanship class? Like, what does that mean? You know, and it's not easy to explain it to people that haven't seen it yet. And, you know, but basically we're just trying to help people understand their horses, help people prepare their horses for whatever they want to do, whether it's doing some ranch riding, whether it's doing some horse shows, whether it's just trail riding, whether it's just getting the horse to where he's getting ready to be started. And there's so many different things people do with horses, and I try to keep the clinics pretty universal. And, you know, there's it's no different than what you do for us with our horses, of course. And people ask us, you know, what what is it you're doing with your horses specifically? And, I mean, it's pretty basic. Cal kind of takes them from where they're at to then to where they need to be going. And so because they're similarly aged and uh, kind of on the same program, the worst one's not that far off from the best one, but you just approach them where they're at and I guess uh, go from there. You can't just say, well, today they're all going to be barrel racers. and Right. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. You yeah. know, you can fill in the blank with whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, we just have to start from where they are at and try to just kind of move forward and try to help uh, make some nice, well-rounded horses for people to do whatever they want to do with. So, okay, I think the next thing on my announcement is uh, basically just to tell everybody thank you for the people who are listening to the podcast, uh, especially thank you to those of you who have supported it uh, in some way. Uh, we have some people on the Patreon account that have been uh, using that. Over generous, I would say, Cal. Over over generous. I know you bought, you built a new house? <laughs> I just built a brand new house. Yeah. Solely off the money from Patreon. Yeah, well... Uh, you shut down Patreon there for a while. They crashed the account. <laughs> crashed the account. <laughs> that the pyramid type growth that we've yes, <laughs> sustained. Yeah. So all of you that are doing that, make sure you get two more people, and then you get those two people to get two people each. That's right. Just heckle your family. Right. Heckle <laughs> That's the family. how that stuff works. The goal is to get everybody that knows you when they see yes. you coming to want to walk the other way. <laughs> and once that happens, you know you are a marketer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the idea. People are going to be listening. They're going to have no idea what's serious and what's not. No, I don't have a new house. Um, we were talking about the uh, different ways people have been supporting the podcast, and it's actually been really, really great. You know, But on a serious note, thank you to everybody who's been supporting that. I've had some people that just send some emails and kind of let me know some feedback. That means a lot, too. It's been kind of cool. I've gotten some people that have just kind of said, hey, I really liked this episode, I really liked that episode, or whatever the deal was. So what I'm going to be doing, I'm kind of keeping track of, you know, who's kind of been the most requested in a way, or the most, you know, you know that's a really good that. point. I, I So I am forever recommending things to Cal, and uh, he doesn't seem offended yet. But I imagine that... Uh, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough out of you. <laughs> Did you shut my mic off? Testing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, you know, if there's somebody, I, I mean, if there's a, uh, you know, somebody that's in in your orbit that you think would be a good guest or that you'd be interested in hearing, I imagine they could send that information to you. And Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I put that out once in one of my newsletters. I told everybody, uh, you know, the podcast is going now, and if, if any of you have suggestions, ideas, people – that they know, that they can hook me up with, or just people that they say, hey, I don't know him at all, but I think it'd be a good podcast interview for you. 
let me know. And I mean, I'm that anonymous letter that somebody wrote about having me on today, that was, I mean, that wasn't me either. Oh, that wasn't you. No, it wasn't Boy, me. Your handwriting looks yeah. so similar. It's I mean, all the, capitals. I mean, the handwriting on that letter <laughs> looks so similar. <laughs> Dang it, I wrote it backwards. Too. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> no, it's good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to take people's ideas and whether I use them or not, but uh, it's always good to uh, to get them. Of course, I have a list of people I'm trying to get to in my uh, my own, uh, but I'm always happy to have more. So I just noticed, so I talked Grant into buying about a $30,000 office chair. With the Patreon money. With the, yeah, with the Patreon money that we're making. <laughs> uh, and oh. then I noticed that it's squeaking. Of course, it's a leather chair. Unbelievable. I don't know what I was, know what I was thinking Who assembled here. it? <laughs> oh, yeah. The assembly. Uh, uh, so I don't I know. I can't believe it. it that, well, so when we're also learning about all the equipment and what's uh, apparent about this room and just to give you a sense of uh you know the room is what probably 12 by 12 by 9 or 10 or i don't know and uh we we use soundproof it's kind of like a hardy backer board and that covers tongue and groove boards and then on top of that hardy backer board there's the kind of egg carton foam pad so it's like a completely ceiling and walls padded padded soundproof room and then because we had a uh it's like a wood floor we took and put down basically a whole shag carpet that's the size of the room it's a very nice carpet grant and i took a while to pick this out one night at lowe's i mean that took longer than it should have (laughs) most of the stuff we do let's be honest but (laughs) anyway speaking of it's a very you know it came together very nicely but when you have no sound or the absence of sound, the subtle squeak of a chair is just, just mind-numbingly loud. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Speaking of things taking longer than it should, I should probably go ahead and introduce Terry for the podcast today. That's right. What's he? Is he? Uh, he's the real guest. He's the he's the real he's, guest. He's varsity. He's varsity. <laughs> That's what we're gonna call you. I just figured J- it out. This is JV guest. This is JV guest Grant. Yeah. Red, I got red shirted, maybe gray shirted, in fact. But <laughs> I think I got a shot next year if I keep up. Uh, you know, better luck the, next year, Gilmore. That's right. See, okay. I'll get some tuition covered. That's right. That's I'm getting right. free clinics out of Cal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yes, yeah, nothing I do here is free. <laughs> These guys take good care of me. I'm happy to happy to be yeah, here. So, Terry Smith is from Austin, Texas. Yes, I'm trying to remember the little town, Elgin, Texas, oh, just not yeah, too yeah. far from Austin. So, for those of you guys that don't know, I used to travel around, follow, learn from a guy named Peter Campbell, and one of the places that uh, I went to was not too far from Austin, Texas, and. I got there to one clinic with Peter and a guy there named Terry brought a horse. So was it was it Terry's place or was it just in? It wasn't Terry's place. Okay. It was just nearby. No, it was a public arena that they and ran And that was out. the first. So you were traveling with and Peter stuff. and then. Yeah, I wasn't actually traveling with him, but I would flew down there right, for, right. for the clinic yeah. at that time. But, but anyway, yeah, so I went. Terry had never met Peter before and Terry never met me before. And we showed up and it was. I feel like it was kind of like stepbrothers, like. Did we just become best friends? You know, that's kind of what it's kind of what <laughs> that's it felt how I like. I felt there. on the phone with him the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean to tell you, that's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he was he was fun to talk with. And so anyway, he brought this horse, and you know, he had tried to help some people with it, and went to some barrel horse trainer, and it kind of been running off and having trouble. And he brought it, and he heard about Peter, but he hadn't met him. So Terry uh, was good friends with Ray Hunt, and you know, of course, you know, Ray learned from Tom Dorrance, and. 
you know, Peter learned from Tom Dorrance and he learned some from Ray as well too. And so anyway, there's a lot of connections there. And so Peter and Terry were able to just kind of hit it right off as well and just kind of start swapping stories about the people they knew. And so, you know, we just had a great time and Peter loved having guys around like Terry as well. You know, I mean, this business is a lot of women around, which is great, but sometimes you meet a guy like that and he's quite a bit older than Peter was. And so they were able to just sit and visit and just have a good time too. Right. So it's kind of good to have some of that. So then after, I think Terry and Peter, looking back, Peter's passed away for those of you that don't know, but I think Peter and Terry must've had a little plan or something that I didn't know about. And I think their plan was to like tempt me with food and then to get me to go down and work with Terry later or something, because we went to this, I mean, Peter didn't know anything about it. I'm kind of joking, but Terry took us to this place for lunch, city meat market. And I mean, this place was this, these steaks were unbelievable. And then next thing you know, Terry's telling me, hey, we got some good barbecue down in Blacks. You ought to come back down and ride some Colts, and we'll do this. And hey, so, they exploited your uh, kindness and your— My weakness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> For yeah, good yeah, barbecue, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but, you know, there was actually some—we you know, kind of joked around about it, about me riding for food, because a few years ago I lived in Ohio for a summer, and there were some gals there that, that they just—they had horses at the boarding stable where I was at. And at night I'd help them with their horses a little bit, and then— They'd, we'd go to dinner. The only thing open still at that late was the Waffle House, usually. If we got done early enough, we'd go to the Mexican place. But it was up by Bell Fountain, Ohio. So anyway, a couple uh, nights in a row, I think we'd, I'd helped them with their horses, and I wasn't charging them anything. I was just happy to help them a little bit. And, you know, I'm just watching them, and, yeah, here's what I thought. And then we'd run, and then we'd go to Waffle House. And then they'd pay you. Yeah, then they'd, they'd buy me dinner. Well, about four or five nights in a row, and then one night the gal said something like, hey, just so you know, I'm not going to have time to go to dinner tonight. I'm just going to but I'm going to get my horse, and I'll be right back. So they went to get their horses. I just went inside, went to bed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't take them very long. Excuse me, ladies. I'm a businessman. <laughs> I'm a businessman. I only work for and food. I... <laughs> so I think the idea, so I think they Brisket got a, is legal tender. <laughs> yeah. I think they got a shirt for me or we talked about it or something and said, we'll ride for food, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of the joke with Terry and I. I think we're going to do the same thing. But anyway, so Terry and I got to be friends. I started going down there helping him with his horses. Had a great time. Terry's actually a really good horseman, got a lot of good things figured out. I'm trying to get him up here sometime to hang out with us. He might come up to the clinic later this year. And, uh, of course, anytime uh, you guys are down in the Austin area, I hope you look him up. So for those of you guys that are out there listening, thank you for giving Grant and I a chance to have fun here and talk to you guys. Hope you can come to Dublin Gap in Pennsylvania. We'd love to have you. Hang out with us. And then I hope you enjoy the conversation with my friend Terry Smith. Here it is. Okay, here we are in Bastrop, Texas with my friend Terry Smith. Terry, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Cal. I am excited to let you guys listen to what Terry has to say. We uh, A lot of times I get somebody on the podcast, I have something specific to talk about. I think the one that was just released the other day was one about, I had a biologist talking about bees, and, and sometimes I have specific people with topics, and with Terry's, I just like all of the stories, and I wanted you guys to hear them too. So that's pretty much all we have going on. So Terry, tell us a little bit about you and where you came from and how you and I got to know each other. Well, I'm from close to here, a little town called McDade, Texas, where I grew up as a young boy. And I was born right down the street in Elgin, Texas, same as your friend from yeah, Austria. Another guy from Elgin, I think. I know <laughs> yeah, <him>. yeah. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up over there on a, on a ranch, small ranch, and then we had some other land, at least about that was bigger that we run cattle on. We farmed, we ranched, we did a little bit of everything just to to eat good and to to live. But we're not too far from your granddad's ranch where it was. Probably about fifteen miles. 
10 to 15 miles from the one piece of it, yeah. And that's where that's where you grew up, spending some time with the horses right. and cattle? That's where I got the, the horse habit, I think, Cal. It was, you know, just, I, I don't ever remember not being with them. It's kind of the way it was. I mean, you, when you was young, they put you on a horse and you rode. And I think a lot of it was because they, you know, they had kids so they could help them work the land. So horse, the kids had to know how to ride to work the cattle. Of course. <laughs> That's the way it was. Yeah. More kids they had, more workers they had. And the more horses you got to have too. More horses you got to have. They paid us good though, probably five cents a day. So yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, we never got what was what they told us we was getting. It was right. always less. <laughs> well, they fed you too. They always take that out. Oh yeah, yeah. Feed was plenty good. What what years are we are we kind of talking about when you were young riding at your grandpa's ranch? When was that? Forty eight, forty nine, somewhere around there. That's when I started. You know, it was just. The best part of my life I can ever remember, really, is is riding horses and being with my grandfather and working the cattle and doing the things that we got to do. Wouldn't take nothing for it. You bet. Yeah, you know I feel the same way. We've talked about that before. And yeah. That was, that was where I started riding, too, of course, with my grandpa a little bit later. And yeah, that was for sure. That's kind of the reason we're all here today doing what we do, in a way. You know, that's where, it got, where we got introduced. Because we, we got that early start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, did, and we didn't hit the ground too much to knock us out of it. <laughs> it happened. It did happen. You bet. There's a, there's a lady uh, that gave a clinic a while back. I heard somebody talking about, and apparently the first thing she says, she stands up there and says, I've never been bucked off a horse. And somebody told me that, and I thought, well, she hadn't ridden very many. She <laughs> sure hadn't started very many. Yeah, how many have you ridden if you've never been bucked off? That's funny. I just want it to be soft where I buck off, and I don't want nobody watching. Right. <laughs> That's the worst part. Yeah, I, I tell people when they come to my clinics, no filming. But sometimes they think it's because I don't want to give away some secret. I just don't want to have it on film if I get bucked off. That's exactly right. I agree with you 100%. But tell me this. Some of the stuff you learned with Grandpa, you've, you've changed a few of your horse methods over the years since the way he did it, I'm sure. A little bit, yeah. How did some of those changes come about? Well, you know, when, when I grew up with him, he had... Certain things he did, certain things he didn't do. He liked his horses, and he was, a, you know, a good horseman for the day. You know, and if you didn't give your horses slack, if he had something in his hand like leather, anything leather, he'd probably give you a wrap right on top of the hand so you wouldn't forget it mm -hmm. to give that horse slack. To loosen the he rein. Said, he said, you don't ride my horses like that. Hanging on to them, you mean? No. Yeah. That didn't work. So he got along with his horses. But, you know, back then, Cal, they rode them because they had to go somewhere. Bet. You know, where he grew up, he grew up in the 1800s. So, you know, they had a whole different, they didn't watch TV and they didn't have cell phones. I'm sure they had marital problems like we do, but hopefully not as many, but <laughs> they didn't have other, other problems. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Their problems are different today, but there's still always been problems. There's always been some problems. Yeah. But they rode a lot. Yeah. And when they rode those horses, it was for something to get done. Something to get done. We, we leave out. In the morning, sometimes three o'clock in the morning, to go work cattle. Always working cattle on the on the ten thousand acres we had leased, and you know, it, the dogs didn't get to ride the truck, and the horses didn't ride on nothing. We went went out there, and I'd say, Granddad, I said, can I load? Blew up one of my dogs, and he says, that dog's walking. 
He said, I want to be in shape when we get back to the cow camp. That's right. <laughs> so he had to walk. I said, my little old dog walking all the way back there, you know, but that's the way it was. Sure. If they didn't, if, it, if you didn't, if there wasn't a reason that they was there, they didn't make money, mm -hmm. they couldn't stay on the place. Yeah. It's just the way it was. Yeah. There wasn't, wasn't no favorites. Right. And if you give that dog a, a ride a couple of days in a row, in the third day, he's probably not going to be as apt to go with you. Yeah. Or he's not going to be able to keep up. And you could also, you could almost be, be doing him a disservice in the way, right? Yeah. I guess that's the way they looked at it. But he raised Catahoulas and, uh, man, them dogs were tough. We'd get back there and it'd be hot. We'd be working, you know, four or 500 head of cattle and them dogs would run and, They'd bring them cows in. I mean, you could, we couldn't have got, to, it was tough country, mesquite, everything. So you had to have the dogs or you'd have never got them. And them dogs would be just like, you know, like, look like they was fixed to roll over dead because they just, they'd run and barked and, you know, they'd have one on the head and one on the heels. That's how they work. I don't know how they trained them because I didn't, I, I don't remember it. Too young, but uh, them dogs would jump over in the tank. There's tanks everywhere. They'd swim around. Here they go again. They, they just, you know, they would go. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't mean to his dogs or nothing like that, but they worked everything on that place. You know, we had about a 60-acre trap. We kept the horses in, and we could go out there, and he'd say, which one do you want? I'd tell him. He'd have two of them there, the head and the healer. Bill and Sis was their names. He'd send them out, and he'd just whistle. He had certain whistles. And one go to the hill, one go to the front. Hear that horse come right in, be 20, 25 head out there, but that horse come. I seen one of them, you know, they'd get right on them heels. If them mares were real smart, they might grab one of them and kick them about 20 foot in the air. Boy, that dog would hit the ground, then it was back up. Right Just back to it. Right back to it. It was like they was, they was you know, they was going to get it done. Didn't matter what they had to do. You know, when I was a kid, I just thought it was normal. As I got older, I said, how did old man do that? You know, I wished I'd have been old enough to pay attention, but I wasn't. There's a lot of things, uh, a lot of things looking back that you wish you would have paid attention to more. Oh, you <laughs> bet. That's how it is for me, for yeah. sure. And people that are gone now, whether it's grandpa or whether it's other people, of course, that you and I both learned from and things. And you just think, man, I wish I'd have paid a little more attention sometimes. I wish I'd have paid a little more attention to that. And I was the type of guy that paid attention, but I still <laughs> wished I'd have paid more attention. <laughs> well, you know, they was trying to give it to us too, Cal. Yeah. Just like we try to, just like you try to give it away, just like I try to, anybody I meet, try to help them understand a better way to work, especially with the animals. But it's a, you know, it's a journey, life is, so we might as well relax. A friend of mine would say, and let's try to enjoy it. Instead of trying to make it a pressure deal, just enjoy life because it's a journey for all of us. That's all it really is. You're on your journey. I'm getting close to the end of my journey. So, you know, I just want to leave something that help, hopefully will help somebody just like you're trying to help. Well, I know, I know you are, Terry. I know you've helped me, and I know there's other people around me that I know you've helped too. And I know you've got a lot of, a lot of good things working in your horses that you've, you've passed on. And that's, of course, part of the reason why I wanted to, to have you on here and invite you on here to talk a little bit about some of those things. But, I've always appreciated that. I know the first time I came down, so I met you at one of Peter's clinics in, Peter's clinic, here in Texas. Yeah, you had a barrel horse that was on the 
on the go that you were helping somebody with. And I got to work him, and he was on the go that day. He was on the go, wasn't he? <laughs> Looked like he was fixing. We nicknamed him Firecracker because he was like. <laughs> Firecracker. He was ready to crack or he was ready to fire or something. But anyway, we got some good changes there and, and we had a good time, but I didn't get to see you work any horses or anything that weekend. So then the next winter, I was staying up at Peter's and I flew down here to hang out with you for a few days. Yeah. And that's when I realized, hey, this guy's got a lot of stuff figured out. But I didn't know that when I first met you. But you spent a lot of time with Ray, of course. Tell us about meeting Ray and some of those things that Well, I, I met, met a man and his wife at uh, a horse sale just by chance in Austin, Texas. I don't know. It was a big coliseum there where they have big sales, mixed horses, race horses. And I was standing in line just to get a drink and had a conversation kick up with them. And they lived over in Elgin. They had some horses. They'd moved in here from Colorado Springs. So anyway, we switched phone numbers. I got in touch with them. I had a stallion. So I took it over and him and the girl, the girl was going to ride the stallion, Doug's wife. Her name was Karen Bright. And Doug was, uh, his father, his stepfather was Stanley Glover, who back in the day was kind of like, if you said Matlock Rose, you might as well say Stanley, because either one of them, if it was a horse show, one of them was going to win it, or the other one was going to win it. That's the way it was. Gotcha. And they showed horses in every event. So I got around these people, and uh, as soon as I got around them, I just noticed they did everything a little different. I've never seen it. it look bizarre to me at first, but I seen the horses reacting different. So uh, I said, what are y'all doing? And they kind of just blew me off, you know, like they didn't want to talk about it, like it was a secret. So then I wanted it more, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, finally, one, I guess one night we were sitting there just eating and drinking, and they said, uh, and Doug's daddy had about, 400 head of quarter horses in Colorado Springs. And he wouldn't sell you one unless he liked you. He had to like you for it. He didn't sell you one of his horses. But he had good bred horses. So we figured Doug probably learned everything from Stanley. And he said, no. I heard it from, heard it from Ray Hunt. Anyway, when they mentioned his name and they, and they said, I said, well, where's this guy at? Who's Ray Hunt? Let's get yeah, him on the phone. I, I've never heard his name before. I said, Can we, has he got a phone number? Yeah, I was ready to dial him up so I could talk to him. He said, well, Ray don't talk on the phones. said, uh, we'll have to look at the Western Horseman. There'll be a schedule in there when he's coming around. So I said, well, we had Western Horseman laying everywhere, so we grabbed one of them up, picked it up. There was a clinic coming up like I think it was two months off in Dilly, Texas, down on the other side of Pearsall. Them guys are, you know, down there This a different kind of horseman, even though it's in Texas. They're, they're a little different too, but anyway. So anyway, we rolled down there. It's in January. Ray was saddling all the horses still at that time. Used to, he would saddle and ride them before he let anybody get on them. But at this point, he's saddling them, and he's doing everything, moving them around, transitions, and doing stuff like that, Cal, before he let anybody get on them. We was there three days, and it was in the cold kind of like it is now but raining and we're outside and i'm going i know i'm crazy so we're standing out there in this weather watching him and it rained off and on but eventually he uh 
I mean, I just seen some stuff there that day that the first day I was just, I didn't even know what I'd seen. You know, I had his first time using Brown and you did, you seen something, but you didn't know what it was. Second day, it was about the same. And then the third or the second day, everybody went to lunch and then Doug and me and Ray stayed there at the place and Carolyn was going to bring us something to eat because Doug knew Ray pretty good personally. They was good friends. So he said, Ray, he says, uh, would you spend that mare for Terry? And Ray said, well, sure. So it was only us three back behind the pins. So he had a little mare off the sixes. I can't remember her name, but I'm just sitting there thinking I'm going to see something like I see raining horse guys do, you know, so I ain't really thinking too much about it. Well, he spends this mare, Cal, like, I mean, it was like a blur. And I ain't seen him move nothing on his body. And so he spins her slow, then he spins her, spins her facts fast again, then he goes one way, then he goes the other way. And I'm sitting there <laughs> going, holy crap, what was that? So I walk up to him, and I get close to him, and I said, Ray, how'd you do that? <laughs> so he just looks down at me and he says I did that with the fork of my body I didn't have no response for that Cal right. so, <laughs> you were trying to think of what that meant yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit in shock yeah. so we, drive, we, we leave we, we eat and I'm thinking about that so I think about it watch him and then we drive back the next day after the third day we drive back so me and Doug and Karen's in the back seat. Me and Doug's in the front. And I remember just driving back. I can't even really talk. All I'm thinking in my mind is with the fork of my, fork of my body. body. Fork of my body. What does that mean? So I've been chasing that for 30-something years. What he said to me. Now, I don't know if he understands how bad he messed me up. But he did it. After that, I was... Pretty much, I was done. Now, I let Doug start the stallion I had that I took to him to ride. He started me, took, took him out on the ranch, and I went out there like a week or two later, check on him. It was a big ranch down in Pertinalis, and he was laying on top of the stallion that was a, he was a, a tiger. I mean, he'd run at you with his teeth out like he was fixed to kill you, and Doug's laying on top of him. No saddle, no nothing. I said, Doug, I said, how's he going? He said, going pretty good. Well, we showed the horse later, and everybody would say, well, Terry, who trained his horse? I said, nobody trained him. I said, a horseman started him. Of course, the boys I was hiring to ride him, J.D. Yates, you name them, they rode him. They'd all look at me. They didn't like that. They didn't train him. His horse was trained by, was started by a horseman. Ray would say, if all you had to have, all you had to do to be a trainer was one thing. Have a phone number. <laughs> Today it'd be a website. <laughs> Today it'd <laughs> be a Facebook website. page. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But that's, that's how I got into it was a chance meeting at a horse sale with two people that were excellent riders, but they was just on the edge of learning what they learned from Ray Hunt. And he'd wintered some at, at Stanley's Ranch, so that's how Doug had got around him and met him firsthand, you know. But at that time, Ray was not 
A lot of people thought he was okay. A lot of people thought he was a witch. You know, they had mixed feelings about him and Tom. Yeah, of course he learned a little bit from from Tom Dorrance, and he and, learned. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where where a lot of that came from. I've I've heard some stories about people turning Tom in as a witch years sure. ago. People calling into the sheriff's office and saying, "Hey, I think this guy's a witch because he just did this with a horse, or did that, and the, and even the cattle and other things." And, Everything changed, and then they just put their heads down and relaxed, and pe- scared people to death. <laughs> scared them to death. Fifty years ago, you know. Man, well, I'll, I'll tell you what: when he spun that horse that first time I met him, Cal, the horse looked like it was fixed to lay down and go to sleep. His head was that far off the ground. You ever seen him do that in the reigning business? It looks a little different sometimes. In the looks way, a little different in the way he did it. I think. For yeah. Sure. So after you met Ray. You you told me this before. After you met Ray, you you said you you knew you knew one you knew one thing for sure, or a couple things for sure. What was two it? or three things? Yeah. One of them was that I knew I couldn't ride a lick. Right. <laughs> Matter of fact, I didn't even want to ride in front of nobody, especially <laughs> Doug, because he he do something, you know. He said, "Well, Terry, why don't you ride?" I says, "I, I hadn't got it yet. I can't do it yet." Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Yeah. Right. But him and his wife was probably, at the time, two of the best riders I'd ever seen other than Ray. But, you know, they had good seats. and They learned enough, you know, a little bit of Ray, how to move them around. But I seen the front and rear and stuff like that get done back then, Cal. And it was just, it was bizarre looking to me. I'm thinking, what are these people doing? You know, and self-loading horses in a trailer. And, you know, we used to jump up up back pickup trucks. That's how we, we had sideboards. You know, the horse would just jump up in anything, but we didn't have no feel like that. Some of the horses got by and they did what we asked them, and some of them didn't. But no whispers around. Right. So you knew you couldn't ride a lick. And what else did you know after well, that clinic? That my grandfather was not the greatest horseman <laughs> that ever lived. I knew you told me that before, but I just was waiting for you because I know that that's just hilarious. First time you told me that, you said after that first Ray Hunt clinic, I knew that I couldn't ride a lick, and I guess my grandfather wasn't the best horseman in the world. <laughs> Those two things were pretty hard to take. Yeah, and he wasn't from Texas. Yeah, so that was another killer. And then you found out he learned from Tom, and neither one of them were from Texas. <laughs> neither one of them. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother hit to a Texas boy's ego. Oh man, you you know <laughs> you can't imagine. You just found out your grandpa's not the best horseman <laughs> in the world, and the guy that is isn't even from Texas. That's it's not tough. even from Texas. That's tough to take. I know. Not even a movie from Texas. That, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, I've dealt with. I've I've worked with a lot of people from Texas, and sometimes they have the attitude that they got things figured out. That's what Ray would say. He'd say, you know, it's. It's hard to teach you Texans. He'd tell them right at the clinics. He said, hey, somebody about to say why. He said, because you already know everything. How can I teach you anything? <laughs> That's the truth, though. So somewhere along in there, you, you had some nice show horses. Right. Of course, you and I kind of have a little bit of that in common. Both of us were a little bit in the show horse world, but also tried to kind of evolve into some good horsemanship like we're working on now. You, you were on the owner side of it. I was on the owner and side of it. of course, I was on the trainer side and showing them a little bit. One thing you mentioned about that's feel, kind of the feeling like you didn't want to ride in front of Ray or in front of some of those people that knew some stuff. Right. Well, the only thing I'll tell you is the only thing maybe worse than some of that feeling is having a buckle that says reserve world champion 
and there's still not one to ride in front of somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I had one of those from the rider's point of view, and you had stuff like that from the owner's point of view, and still we both realized, man, I don't know anything about riding these horses, you know? Yeah. That's a humbling feeling, but, but how many people saw that and then just wouldn't let that feeling come in and just went on the other way and just, eh, I don't really want to go that deep. They just went on. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with people that aren't interested in this. They're just not interested in it. Well, it's like Ray would say, you know, at the clinics, I heard him say it up in, uh, at the Four Sixes Ranch where he's up there. And he, there was, I don't know, 150, 60, 200 people standing around the round pen from everywhere. And he was doing an exhibition with some kids from Australia, 12, 13 years old, starting colts. Like two or three of them. I mean, it was a pretty amazing little deal to watch it. And he said, this is not for everybody. And he said, I don't mean that in a bad way. He said, it's just, he said, this is not for everybody. He said, there's a few of y'all, some of y'all that's going to want to give something that you've never gave to get this. But he says, I can't give it to you and it's not for sale. So if you want this, you got to dig for it. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, you know, he was, uh, he just, you know, he would say it like it was. And he, I talked to him some about it, you know, and he said it took him six, seven years before he really, you know, he was around Tom off and on. And he wouldn't ride him every day. But he said one day it just kind of hit him. And he says, my God, man, what are you doing? You're going through the feet, to the feet, through the body, to the mind. The legs, the body, to the mind. And then you go back down. And so- sooner or later, you can just go to the mind. He says, when I figured that out, he said it was a little easier for me. And then, of course, Tom would always talk about, we was in Elko once, and he said, I want you all to learn how to ride the left side, the right side, the front, the back. And he said, then most of all, I want you to learn to ride the horse from the inside out. Tom always talked about the whole horse. Of course, somebody there, I don't know who it was, said, well, what do you mean by that, Tom? He said, I mean from your innards to the horse's innards. Of course, all of us were standing there like, we didn't... (laughs) It was a little bit over this? our head at what, the time, but that's a, that's about at this stage of the game. That's it's the whole horse, Cal, and you know they they used to say, Tom and Ray both, if we could get inside of you for five seconds or five minutes, it would be no problem. You would understand it immediately, but we can't. But it's right there, and it's easy. When you get it, you think, most everybody I've ever talked to about it said, my God, what was wrong with me? You know, it's one of them moments. Because it's, it's right there in front of us. But Tom Dorrance put himself in the horse's position better than anybody, and he figured it out quicker. I think, is my opinion, he got it, he got it pretty good. Of course, he didn't get married till he was 55, so that might have something to do with it. I, I'm just, <laughs> I was going to let you bring that up because you have more experience about that marriage stuff than I do. <laughs> but, yeah, that has to have something to do with it. He didn't have 
I mean, he had a lot to do and he had some other careers and stuff there besides just sitting on a ranch his whole life. He did some other things from what I read and what I've gathered, but he spent a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah, and, spent a lot of time. And not a lot of time, you know, with whole, with another well, he, he was big a, part of he it. He was the youngest son and they had the namesake law, so he didn't have to go to the service. So he stayed there and took care of his mother and dad. And from all indications, he stayed on that ranch till he was, you know, I guess 50 years old. And they sold it, cut the money up, and he he just went around and stayed at different ranches helping people with their horses, showing them how to ride them in a different kind of way. They said on the old 25, he'd show up over there, and he said, everybody pick a horse. He said, I want the one nobody else wants. You know, he's only 5'4". He'd go over and get that one. And they said, they'd leave about an hour later. Here come Tom. Riding a horse with the mane. He didn't even have a bridle on it. Riding that colt. <laughs> on a, a 50,000 acre spot. What's that like, Cal? Oof. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be able to tell you what that's like. Man. Riding a horse like that on that big place. But Yeah, that's something else, huh? So, Terry, you, uh, besides your horse, your horse venture, you're in the truck business. Tell us a little bit about the truck business today and how that's, how that's changing a little bit. Well, it's just like anything, you know, only thing really constant is change, I guess. Other than, you know, if you're out there and doing business, but we buy and sell a few wholesale diesels or half ton sometimes, but that's about what, what I do for a living is buy and sell trucks. I've been in that business for a while, probably about 45, 50 years. Now, for a while, you sold some diesel cars. Back in the 70s, yeah, we made a run on some new cars. We just bought new cars and run into a deal where we got finally kind of found a little slot in there where nobody was messing with it. It moved around, moved a bunch of cars for about three years. And all that ended one day, I think. I remember you couple, telling me. A couple of days after Jimmy Carter got on TV and said nobody could have diesel but the farmers. <laughs> we Yikes. we had too many of them. Right. So. You were stockpiling them, and he said nobody can have them anymore. We had them at every state <laughs> in the country, I think, Cal. <laughs> it worked out good till that till that press conference, didn't it? To come on that TV, it, when, it, when it hit that TV, it was done. TV strong. Of course, that's not how it ended up. Huh? Of course, what he said is not how the, it really ended up today. No, I mean, no. It didn't end up. At the time. But at the time, you know, it was, it was just a, everything was timing, you know. I think life's, you know, a little bit about fate and timing, you know. If I had a minute at Horse Hill that day, I'd never met Doug and Karen. So it was all, you know, this timing is everything to some degree. And you weren't, you weren't, you didn't hate Mr. Carter. You were a Democrat anyway. I was a Democrat. <laughs> but it's just kind of like, well, gosh, dang, there goes you, my business and ideas I had. You didn't have to do that, Jimmy. Not yeah, that quick anyway. You didn't have to do that. Yeah, that's the deal. So was it before that or after that you went to Alaska for a while? Tell, tell us that oh, story. I went to I Alaska like story. way before that in the early 70s. Made a friend of mine, drove up there. He had a brother up there, so we, we drove up there to, to make it. Rich in Alaska, working on the pipeline. <laughs> That's why you're rich today. Now, I always knew. I, I <laughs> yeah. wasn't, wasn't sure what it was. That's what it was. Now, you drove to Alaska from 
South Texas. Houston. Houston. 65, 60 something hundred miles. That was quite a trip. One, one week to the day, we slept twice, stopped twice to slept. One in Dawson Creek, one in, I think we stopped in Denver. And we drove that Alcan Highway, which is, uh, back then it was 1,800 miles of unpaved road. And we drove it in winter. It's almost time you could drive it because if you drove it in the summer, it was too rough, too many potholes. But that was an experience in itself, making that little trip. I bet it was. In a 70 mile regular cab of Chevrolet. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the only thing, bad, only thing good was it had a heater. But you had to block everything off. You didn't. You didn't use the same thermostats or nothing. We had everything. When we hit Alaska, it was. Uh, we hit pulled into Toke, Alaska, and it was sixty five below. And I think that was when I was wanting to go back to Texas. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I said, That's this cold. Is, this is this isn't what I want. But we went up there to make money. You know, make to get rich like everybody else did. There was a lot of people going up there. You were thinking about the oil fields. Oh yeah, pipelines, pipelines, making a little, making some fast money. You didn't do a lot of pipeline once you got up there. No, no. <laughs> His brother had a gambling joint, so we went to work for him. It was just about as good of money, but that's what we did for about. A, I stayed up there about a year. He stayed up there and lived for about five years. Boy, I grew up with. So I stayed a while, and that was about it. I had to come back. Well, you're back here in Texas now. It's not quite that cold. It's not quite that cold. <laughs> it's getting close, though. It's a little chilly. A little chilly here this week. A little so, chilly here. So you've got some horses now that are back there on your where your granddad's ranch was. You have a little right. piece of that. Yeah. What do you do with your horses now? That seems to be a question that people ask. And anymore, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> what's, what's the best answer you've got? What do you do with your horses? Well... You know, that is a good question, Cal, but what I do with mine is uh, try to get them as close to what I think is what Tom and Ray was trying to get get us to figure out. I think I've got lucky. We found a few of them pieces of the puzzle. As they would say, it's a 10,000-piece puzzle, and you cannot smash no pieces in. It don't work. Trust me, I tried it, and I probably screwed a few up. And I'm sure some of them got tired of looking at me coming out that back door with a flag and a 60-foot rope trying to figure it out. For so. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anybody that gets this stuff figured out is going to. You got to make some mistakes. They're going to make some mistakes. You got to. And I think for me. It's a good thing of, the horse is forgiving. Yeah, that's for sure. Horse is a forgiving animal. And I think for me. If, if you're afraid to make those mistakes, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. I mean, you're never going to make it to where you figure some stuff out. If, if you're afraid to make the mistakes, it's not going to happen. It you ain't going to happen. You've got to just wait in there and get to work and see how things you gotta go. You've got to go in there and give it your best shot. Yeah. So when I came down here that winter, we I, I kind of started saying something earlier. I flew down here from Wyoming, spent a few days riding with you. What made you do that, Cal? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I think I think we got down here. Well, I th I don't know if you tempted me first with the barbecue, or or if, if once I was here you told me oh we're going to have some barbecue. No, no, I I now I remember now I remember the first clinic 
that you came to with where with Peter and I was there, you took us to barbecue there in Giddings. But we had we, steaks. We had a huge steak that day. Oh man. So then I, I think the comment was basically a little while later. Hey, if you come down here again, we'll ride some cults and I'll take you, I'll feed you some good barbecue. My, <laughs> my motto has always kind of been, we'll ride for food, you know. We'll ride for food. So, so we, we got down here and uh, well, we, we went to Black's. And of course, I'm a, I'm a Kansas City boy, so I know what good barbecue is. You know what good barbecue is. It, and now I eat good barbecue. And Texas has got some good barbecue. And you took me to a couple good places. You got one of the big, you got one of the big dinosaur ribs. Oh, that thing was huge. I think I still got the picture of that. Right. We'll have to put that picture on this pod, on this way on my website so people can see that. But that thing was so big. I think we, we sent that picture to Peter because I was been staying at his place. That I think day. it was Where? a forty dollar rib, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. That was your job. I mean, the paying paying part of that was your job. I didn't pay attention to that. All I know is I rode some colts and I got a bunch of food. And he, then I think I brought every horse that I had that needed to get rode to that. Place. <laughs> I think you're right. Next thing you know, it's dark. Cal, got the Cal was riding. The, you was riding them in the headlights one night. Remember? Yeah, you, I did. Yeah, we had the headlights. You you had your truck and Roy's truck, and we had the headlights turned on, and I was riding. In the round pins. Then you ride them outside the round pins. We, yeah. we sent that. We sent that picture of that big beef rib to Peter, and I get back, and Peter says, "It looks to me like you didn't get any riding, and you just ate the whole time." <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah. Did you guys even ride any? But then he did ask me because you 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 told him about the. Riding in the dark. Did you really ride in the dark with the headlights of the truck? You know, <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. Uh, we laughed about that, but yeah, I rode a bunch of horses that weekend. Rode a bunch, but it went good. And, and like I said, that's when I kind of fi- figured out that man, I had to listen to this guy a little bit. He's got some things sorted out too, you know. And that's when you told me more about how much time you'd spend around Ray. And and of course, you know, I know not to put words in your mouth, but then you said later you you saw Peter and you thought, hey, there's somebody else that's got some stuff figured out you know i've heard about peter and i i just never had a, had a chance to be around him but i knew if he'd been around tom he he had something good was no doubt about that unless he was just asleep while he was around tom <laughs> but i like the story about the about the rocks in the milk carton better than anything from peter yeah there's a lot of good stories and yeah it'd be nice if some of those guys were still around to tell them but so now it's your job to tell the story. That's why, that's why I wanted to record you a little bit. <laughs> that way we can, I don't have to tell all of them as many later. I can just say, hey, listen to this. Listen to this. Here it yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, man, I'll tell you, Peter, Peter can tell them stories. Though. Yeah. We sit out there in the cold that night, remember? Oh, yeah. Me and you and Stacy. Yeah. And Peter. Yeah. That was freezing cool. to death. Telling stories. He even took his jacket off. Give yeah. it to me. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, we had a good time. I always have a good time. I always have a good time when I get around you, Terry. And so then I started coming to Texas after that for the winter. And this is my second year down here now. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we got to ride a lot of horses there with you. And there's been a lot of other times. I just, I try to keep, keep riding as many as I know you called me here a while back. And I, he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm up here. I'm driving to go ride some horses. You said, you know, Kyle, you can't, you can't ride all of them. <laughs> I said, well, I'm trying. I'm getting, I'm getting closer every day. <laughs> I'm going through the list. Yeah. I always, I always got to be careful. I, I always tell people that uh, sometimes I'll go ride a horse somewhere and I think, I got to call Terry and tell him about that, you know, or I'll, I'll get ready to ride one. And I, th- I wonder what Terry would do here, you know, or something like that. So it's always good. Sometimes if somebody's listening to me, they're in the truck with me or something, and I call you and we get to talking about riding horses, they're thinking, what, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? They got to be crazy. Yeah. And, but you're, you're usually on the other line with somebody with a truck, somebody selling a truck or buying a truck. 
Which, by the way, just a little disclaimer. Anybody who comes to my clinics, I don't want them to get any ideas. Terry's the only guy that gets to sit at my clinics and have his phone in his front pocket, and the phone rings, and he answers it on speaker, and I'm out there trying to talk about getting the hindquarters, and he's trying to sell a Dodge Dooley over the phone, and everybody in the thing can hear it, and I just shake my head and keep going. You know, I but, usually walk off a little bit, <laughs> trying to tr- talk a little lower. But I always tell people, hey, don't, don't get any ideas. You can't do that. It's just Terry. Just Terry. He's the one that gets to do that. So I appreciate that, Cal. You bet. Hey, so uh, – Tell us a little bit about, you had some racehorses, or you, you, you were around some nice racehorses for a while. Uh, I was with a young lady that uh, for about seven years, we was married, and uh, she was my second wife, and her family owned a bunch of racehorses, and I, I got around them, and that's how I kind of got into the racehorse deal, but her family owned uh, Easy Jet, Go Man Go, and Rocket Wrangler. And uh, it was her, her dad's sister actually run the, 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 the their part of the, what they did, but they was the sole heir to the Dr. Pepper fortune. That's how they had the money, so they never worked. I knew something was weird because they never worked. And they all rode, just bought horses. And I got around them, and I got the, the racehorse bug. And so when I did that, I had to reach in there and get me a little – Tasted that racehorse business, <laughs> and it was the highest highs and the lowest lows. But what I wish more than anything, Cal, was to go back and do something with them horses. That what I did, you know, that I didn't know anything of this stuff right here. I mean, if I'd known any of it, I probably would have took them out of the race. Number one, but you know, it's just it's a whole different way of looking at everything. Yeah, it is. It is it's a, it's whole a whole different way. It's a whole different way of looking at it. I know. I know. For me, it's uh, you know, once you once you feel how a horse can feel like this, it's hard to want to ride him that other way. Can't do it. It's hard to want to go back and ride any other way. You know, and that doesn't mean that you know, there's not different things you can do, and it doesn't mean that if somebody's interested in specific disciplines or shows or something, there's nothing wrong with that. But once you, what for me, once once I get onto this stuff working, and once you get this stuff working pretty good, it's hard to. It's hard to want to go back. Yeah. I mean, just think if somebody walked up to you and say, if I did say, Cal, could you ride a horse like you used to ride? You probably couldn't do it. See, because you know it don't make sense. Now, there's still some pieces that you learned from your grandpa, that you learned from the, that I learned from the show horse business. There's still some pieces that you kind of take along with you. But the one thing that I learned, and, and I think you and I have talked about this before, there's, you learn Every, everywhere you go, you can learn something and you might take a piece here and then you get take a piece there and you kind of always think, okay, I got little pieces here and then I figure out where to put them. But sometimes you learn some of those pieces that you learn that you've been working on, they don't fit anywhere. They don't fit nowhere. <laughs> that's right. They just don't fit. That's, that's a tough one when you, well, I think when I first got around this is, you know, I don't know how many years it was into it. I thought I had some of it. And then I'd go stay up there with Ray sometime after that. and then I'd. I'd see something and I'd say, I didn't have none of it. I have to go back and go to the drawing board. You know, so that was a part that would make you, you know, and, and I'm still learning, just like Ray would say. You know, when somebody would say something to him, he'd say, see that tree out there? Big oak tree? And he'd say, yeah. He said, what I know about the horse, if that was a horse, he says, is that one leaf hanging down there the lowest? 
That's how humble he was. You know, and I'm not going to say he knew what Tom knew because I wasn't around Tom that much, but Tom invented it. Ray took it on the road. He took it to the world. You know, he took it everywhere. Went to Australia. He went to Spain. He rode for the... He, he, he did a... A lot of people don't know it, but he did a clinic at the Spanish Riding School. And when it was over, I wasn't there, but I talked to Carolyn almost every day. They was there about six days. And the last day, the guys that he was teaching or helping with their white horses, the Lipizans, I guess is what you'd call them, they they set him where the kings would sit in in that building with the chandelier. Carolyn said they rode by and they all did the airs and did every, they did a performance for Ray. And then when it was over, they circled back and all of them rode by him and they saluted him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But he, you know, he was, I was with him in Decatur. I was up there to meet him for a clinic on Bill Mudcaster's place. And that's, Ray died up there. He died with Bill. When I showed up, I guess the Stamphobit people had called him and they wanted to induct him into the Hall of Fame, Cal. Cal Horse Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's cool. And he wouldn't go. Hmm. Now that's pretty strong. That's that's pretty strong. That's humility. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I'd have to admit it. I wasn't going to say that, but I don't know if I could either. <laughs> yeah, that's a deal. That's a know. deal. You know, and Carolyn says, Terry, can you talk to him? I said, Carolyn, I said, Ray don't want to go. He ain't going. You know, that man had, he was by far, if there was a Renaissance man, Ray was it. Kind of bizarre to say that about somebody, but that's the way he was. Now, some people didn't understand him, but they couldn't take the truth because it's the way it was coming at you. And, And a lot of people didn't understand it. One of the first things he told you about if you're gonna you're gonna have to work on something before you get this horse thing figured out. Well, I just I just asked him. Uh, I said, right. I think I asked him pretty much like this. It was me, just me and him back at at uh, Cameron Equestrian Center in Austin. I said, Ray, how long do you think it take me to get this? He says, I don't think you can get it. <laughs> just like that. So I, I kind of, you know, had I was, I was a car dealer, so I had ego. I wasn't short on that. He said, Terry, you never get this. He said, I don't think you'll ever get it. And I said, so I just come right back at him. I said, well, why do you say that? He says, ego. He said, you got too much ego. He said, horses don't have none. He said, they don't understand it. So I had to go back home and look in the mirror. Wasn't pretty. Yeah, we all have to do that. We have to check. We have to check things out have ourselves before out. we can get that horse right. Because the horse knows. He knows what you know, and he knows what you don't know. That's what Tom would say. And that's the first time I heard that. I didn't know what to think about that either, Cal. But it's the truth. You know, they know exactly before you even touch them. They know what you're thinking. A lot of people don't believe that, but after all these years, I do. I mean, they, that's part of that, what Tom said, that inside part. It's got to come from the inside of the man. And you can only get out of that animal what you give to him. That's all you can get. 
can't get no more, no less. That's what that's what they was trying to give. You know, in the, the horse training thing, I had a friend of mine that used to say, us horse trainers, he'd say, uh, we get way too much credit for a good horse, take way too much blame for a bad one. Exactly. Now, when he said bad one, of course, the the relevance there isn't that the horse himself is innately bad. He's just talking about that horse was bad horse for for the reigning event, for for example, or for you for know, that trainer, for, for that for that trainer, for that exactly. You know, there are horses that are just bad horses for jumping. It doesn't mean they're a bad horse, and you can't make a nice riding horse, but they may not be an athletic enough horse to go do the jump or whatever. So, but anyway, the point would have been there that. The, the horse is is what it is, and whatever we get out of it, the horse already had that in there. We didn't, already had it in there. We didn't put it in there. No, you know. I think this 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 method I call it the Hunt Dorrance method. I mean, it's not really natural horsemanship. It's what Tom Dorrance dreamed up, and his his dream was for your ideal to become the horse's ideal. A lot of people, you tell them that. They look at you funny. And Ray would say, you know, they'd say, Tom would say stuff about the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. And he said, everybody's got the physical. He said, I had some of that. He said, I jumped onto the mental accidentally. And he said, I thought, this is it. So he said, I thought I had it. So once I seen that man working, he said, then I bounced into the spiritual. And he said, I knew. I was on to the top. And he said, I, I tried to hone that a little bit. He said, that's how he kind of figured it out. But Tom was, I think Tom was just a special guy too, Cal. They said, Ray said a lot of times they'd be riding and they had yopons out there instead of mesquite trees. And he said, them cattle would be laying under them yopons, just sunning or, you know, sleeping in the summer. And, uh, there might be 10, 15 head laying under the mill ponds. Restored cattle that his father run there. And he said, Tom would say, well, you see that one with that spot in the middle of that white spot in her head, you know, one of the bees, you know, he'd point that one out. He was all restored cattle, all marked. He knew all the numbers to every cow they had. He knew the tag number. Or he said, never missed. He didn't even bet you what the tag number was from 200 yards. And they said, he said, I'm going to ride up there and move that cow and leave the rest of them. Well, Cal Bean, you worked a lot of cattle. That ain't no easy feat. No. <laughs> but Ray said, Tom never missed. He said, you lose that nickel every time. Yeah, and he didn't mean keep him there all anxious and nervous and moving around. He meant, like, don't let him stand up. Just get the one over <laughs> and then leave the rest of them there. Leave the rest, like, of, the rest of them still sleeping. They never woke up. Isn't that something crazy? That's the deal. Yeah, those stories are pretty great. And sometimes I, I almost worry, like trying to tell some of those stories or some of them I've heard or even some of the things that I saw Peter do. I got to meet Ray a little bit too, but he was, you know, at that point he was at the age where he wasn't riding Colts himself or doing a whole lot. So, I, you know, I didn't get that big wow moment when yeah. I first met Ray, even though I could see there was a lot of good there. But of course I got that later a little bit meeting Peter. And, and some of the stories I even saw are the things I saw. It's hard for me to tell that to a lot of people that, that don't understand this because it just makes you, yeah. it, it kind of makes them think that I'm crazy. <laughs> I can understand, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But so, the first time, well, the second time I 
met him. We had to, we left Dilly. We put together a clinic that had blown apart on him in Austin. So I got to see him like, I don't know if it was two or three weeks in a row. And so we're sitting in the back over at, at that equestrian center we'd rented. And uh, it was pretty cold. It was still January, February. And uh, he was sitting on this. He rode a bunch of mares off the sixes. He'd been riding for, out at the sixes for a while. So he got all his horses from Blodgett. I'm sure they made some kind of trade. You know, they wanted to see Ray ride near horses with a brand on it. He'd be sitting on that horse. Tell he just kind of like if you had your right rein and you moved it about up, just picked it up like an eighth of an inch. And uh, I'm standing, you know, there's about 15 or 20 of us back there. I don't know how many of them thought it was a trick or whatever, but he just kind of picked that rein up just a hair. And the horse just picked its right foot up, didn't move its, moved nowhere, just picked it, foot up and held it. And he set it over here. And of course, I'm sitting there like, holy, holy crap, what did I just see? So then he does the left front, same thing. You can't see his body move. He was doing something with his fork. I can't tell you what, because I can't do it. I think me and Peter talked about it that day. And so then, that was pretty strong. Then he does the rear feet. Picks that foot up. Sets it over. But, I mean, it ain't no up and down. It's just kind of sitting there, Cal, waiting on him to say, put it down. And that's, he said, Tom could do that in his sleep on any horse in about five minutes. But what did he know? What they would say about him back in the day was Tom and Ray both, when Ray finally got onto it all the way, was he knew what the horse needed before the horse knew it that's about as good a way as you could put it about what they knew they knew it before the horse knew yeah trying to get there early and really all this really is after 73 years and a whole bunch of years chased it it's not what the human thinks that the horse needs it's getting in there and making moves that Tom figured out that means something to the horse. It may not mean nothing to any human, period. But I'm going to just tell you like I, I see it is it's what means something to that animal. And if you get in there and you find it, then he's got a different outlook on you right there on the spot. I seen Tom, I seen Ray get on him places where he didn't take no horse, just took his saddle. In five, ten minutes, Cal, they looked like one of his horses he'd been hauling all over the country. And that's how, that's how deep he was in there with him. It, it was, it just, it didn't even look real. I mean, you would have seen it. These, these girls here probably would have seen it, but that's how strong it was. Yeah, by the way, we've got a live studio audience for filming this in front of today. <laughs> Everything's good. So. Terry, tell us a little bit of some things that you want to pass on, whether it has to do with the horses, exactly, or whether it has to do with some life. You've lived a little bit of life. You've done some things. I think you had two wild days in your life, if I remember correctly, just two wild days. Two wild days. Everything else was just <laughs> smooth and 
And and so had a but, few bumps. Yeah. <laughs> you just mentioned earlier that your your uh, life is coming to an end. Well, that's not that's not uh, anything immediate. But of no, course, but of course, you're older than I am. So uh, I'm on the on the downside of the trail. If you weren't going to be here tomorrow, what is it you need to leave for people to know things that you've learned? Well, Cal, I'd have to maybe just think about that one a second, but. I think just about everything I've I've learned that was good about life was after I learned started I learned it from the horses. What they give me, I like to hand that to everybody. The good that they can do once you're good to them. Exactly. That's, a, that's about as good as you can put it right there. I mean what they what they can give to you and make well, how they can make you feel on the inside, I think is what Tom was talking about. When he said, I want you to ride them from the inside out. But, uh, man, when they get on to you, see that you're right there with them. As Tom would say, too, he says, they'll lay down and die for you. You give all that. What you got, they're going to know it. And them animals know a lot more than what we know, probably. If we knew what they knew, it'd probably scare us to death. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> That's probably right. So how did how did Tom figure this out? Oh, man, I'll tell you, that's I'd like to have been there when he was doing it, Cal. But what he said was he watched a lot of stuff. His brother he had an older brother named Fred that got killed in a horse related accident. And I think Fred was a you know, big teacher to Tom. And he said he just seen it back then, you know, at his stage of where he was, there was probably a lot, there was still a lot of people riding horses to go places. So he got to ride quite a lot, just having to go somewhere maybe, you know, and working them horses on cattle on the ranch, he rode a lot. So I think he just had a mind to try to figure something out because he, he did other inventions. You know, he, he built other things that a lot of people don't even know about. But I think, uh, you know, what he would say was he's seen some things he didn't want to do. He'd throw them out. And then he's seen some things that helped the horse, and he kept them. And he put all those together. The two words that he said that I liked the best was support and direct. Somebody asked him where he got that. He said, I got it out of the Reader's Digest while I was using the bathroom. <laughs> classic. <laughs> it was a classic. Support and direct. Support and direct. I think when I got onto them two words and started doing that, instead of and what it, nothing he did had anything to do with force, other than the point. That he said you may have to use every bit of strength you got to get something across, but where you release makes a difference. The horse is not looking for anything, as far as I'm concerned, cow, but a release. He's no no different than the rest of us. If you give them a release at the right time, and that pressure should be a support instead of pressure. I think Tom was just kind of a, a rare individual. He said at one time uh, he did some things by experimenting, just like me and you were doing. You know, you, you're not, we're not ever going to live long enough to figure all this out. We already know that. He said it was just kind of, he would just sit there and kind of play with things until when I see it, and I know you see it too, Cal, when something, when you do something really right, that horse is going to tell you. 
And how does he tell you? By licking, by chewing, by the expression on his face. But when you get it, when you're dead right, he's going to let you know. It can't be another human telling you, but that animal will tell you every time. And there ain't no doubt about it. When you put him, when you put him in that right spot, he's going to be right. You know, I wished everybody could see that and feel it. For sure. Well, I know not everybody's going to be able to, but I know that you're doing your best to help people understand it. I appreciate you helping me. I know I appreciate helping everybody else, and and I know other people appreciate you too, buddy. I appreciate All right. that, Cal. Well, thank you a lot. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for being on here, and we'll get you on here again sometime. That's a good deal. Adios. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Horses in Life podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can obviously tell people about it. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it through social media or any other means. You can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Enjoy each day.